Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And as you do so, I want you to go into your mind and think about some of the places you've been when you've had some of those most profound discoveries that have given you that edge to move you closer to serving your community market and audience from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You might have been at a coffee shop. You might have been at a cigar shop. You could have been sitting out in an outdoor cafe. You could have been at the networking function before or after the seminar. It could have been a random messenger chat. It could have been that 2 a.m. Skype call. The thing is, these things happen when you're out and about in the real world. When you get the hell out of the office and discover people where they are. The Business Creators Radio Show is a from-the-field podcast. And as you listen, you may hear a little bit of chatter in the background. You may hear some birds chirping. You may hear me moving around a little bit because that's where you are when you find what it is that moves you forward. For those of you who are purists and are concerned about the $25,000 studio and agonizing over which microphone you use, bear in mind that I am sitting outside right now and I am doing this over a smartphone using a Wi-Fi connection. If I can do it, you can do it. We all can do it. So with that, get your pad of paper and two pens out and be prepared to be amazed and to capture those aha moments. Today, we are going to speak about how to beat cancel culture and how to become a positive influencer. And I have somebody here today who is a very unique guest to us. I've been looking forward to having him on the show for a long, long time. His name is Vito Glazers. He's an American media entrepreneur, producer, author, actor, and international television personality most known for his appearances on WeTV, Bravo, and Netflix reality shows. And he now dedicates his life to helping influencers and brands share their stories through news, media, and film. He's going to tell you more about himself in just a second. This is a fascinating story. I've got a sneak peek in the green room, and we're going to show you the whole thing. And with that, Vito Glazers, come on in. The weather is fine. Well, Adam, I have to say thank you so much. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to talk to you here. I love that introduction. And I am all about the mindset that you're in. It's 2022. The days of big studios are over. It's time to disrupt. It's really all about the story. And Absolutely. That's going to lead so much into everything I can tell that we're going to talk about today. But really, uh, if the story is good, you can, there's a million platforms for you to share that on now. You don't need that big studio. You don't need those expensive microphones. You just need to have a platform. 
and I, I, you kind of lead me into something I'd like to tell people is that everybody has a story to tell and everybody has an audience that needs to hear it. And my job at Glazers Media is just to connect those dots for people. Before we dive into that, because I am very curious about what Glazers Media does and the topics we're going to cover today, what we like to do here is I read off your official bio, and that is so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. So what we want you to do is tell us a bit about your story, your journey, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, I really appreciate that uh, compliment, but the truth is really is that without a platform to tell your story, the the story doesn't matter, right? So I'm super grateful for you for having me to share my, to give a little bit of insight and to share my story and challenge me and and give me an opportunity to kind of help people through your platform. So um, my story really starts, you know, I was, I was an artist in college and I, I was always really into art and I wanted to become like basically a professional artist or work in the arts. Um, working, I, I was going to Columbia College in Chicago as a music business major, wanted to like own a recording studio, be in the film industry, just a lost creative. I met this uh, university professor uh, who basically was like, Vito, you're you're really good with business. And he said, what you really should be doing is focusing on making a lot of money because I didn't come from money. So he's like, if you make a lot of money, you can go back to art and people will care more about your art because there's already a million struggling artists out there. So I took his advice and I got pretty good at business and I got into entrepreneurship. Uh, he taught me how to kind of set up my first company. And I went through like trial and error of all these different things I didn't like to do, like real estate and phone sales and all these different uh, kind of opportunities that were available to me at the time. Uh, but finally, I found a good hybrid of being able to make money in business in the advertising world. So advertising gave me the ability to like be creative and put myself out there and work with creatives, but also to monetize that. Um, so I had a great career in advertising, but then what really started happening is, you know, obviously all advertising was going like very digital. And it went from being a creative play to being more like just like a math problem, like a big math problem. And I found it to be very unsatisfying. So I literally uh, had some like life-changing events that happened. And like, um, basically I, I found myself being 30 years old and having like burned through like 10 years of a career and didn't have a lot, like I'd made a lot of money and lost a lot of money and everything in between. And I kind of was at this reset place. And I said, you know what? Um, I really got into this to be creative. I'm going to stick with being creative. And from there, like whatever you set your mind to and whatever you focus your time on is what you're going to get the best results from, right? So I just said, if I want to be successful in business, then I'm going to set my mind for business. But if I want to be a creative, I'm going to focus on being creative. So one year into focusing being on creative, I ended up uh, developing my own reality show and ending up on my own reality show. It was called Mystery Millionaire. It came out in 2014. And it was on AMC, it was, uh, which is Wee TV now. And it was very successful. It was a really good show, but the elements didn't line up, right? So just like anything in life, it's like you have to just keep putting yourself out there and keep building yourself up. So I went from that reality show, then I, I, I went to, I started doing like a morning news kind of like sketch comedy show. I was on Fox. For, we did that 
for a couple of years. And then I got involved with the Bravo show and that, that kind of like took me international. Um, and now uh, I'm just producing and I'm pitching pilots and now we have new media, right? So now it's, it, you really don't need the TV the TV networks. You don't need to do the movies. And I've done a handful of movies and I've done a, a handful of uh, TV shows, but really I get the most satisfaction from finding a great story and sharing that with the, with an audience that it's, that's going to get the most benefit from it. And that's why we started Glazers Media in Hollywood. And basically what we do is we're very creative, creator centered. So if, if you're an influencer, quote unquote, right? There's, there's a lot of parallels between influencers and entrepreneurs, basically. So if you're an influencer or an entrepreneur and you have a story to tell or you have some kind of value to share, Glazer's Media helps you own that story. So you don't have to go to Netflix and like sell your story and get your, um, have your like whole idea, like gone through their process. You can stay authentic to what you're doing. And now we have a lot of big celebrities coming to us because they've been kind of played by the old school model of selling your story to a network and the network kind of creates it to fit their agenda. Um, and then they release it. And by the time it comes out, you're like, well, this isn't really even a story. So um, with the rise in new media and podcasts, video on demand, uh, independent production, um, self-publishing, what Glazer's Media does is we actually help creators get that story down. So whether you want to write a book, whether you want to do your own reality show, if you want to do a short form web series, even or if you even want to go all out and do like a full feature film or documentary film, um, we can produce, write and produce and create all of that for you, staying authentic to your story. And then we also, on the other side, we work with a lot of celebrities and influencers that can bring audiences to your story. So it's basically like the whole ecosystem um, of storytelling uh, from getting a story to producing that in some kind of format that can be shared with where your audience is at and then using people with big audiences to drive, um, to drive viewers to your, to your platform. That's, that's kind of what we do. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And I love the way you made all that flow. So a couple of my Thank thoughts. You. My primary work is actually is being the founder of what's known as the Podcast Reach System, where we work with entrepreneurs to help them launch their podcasts, their key networking, client attraction, and celebrity expert branding tool. For mm -hmm. me, my success in podcasting has always been about the connections I've made with my guests and the connections I've made with people who have hosted me. I like to say that when you host a podcast, you only have one listener who really matters, and that's your guest, because they're the only one who's guaranteed to be there the whole time. They're the only one that you're pretty much guaranteed to have some sort of conversation with before or after. They're the one who's most likely to stay connected with you afterwards. And other than your own efforts, they're the one who's going to make the decision as to whether or not that episode really even sees the light of day, which is why it's so important to follow our process to create an amazing experience for the guests, which I'm endeavoring to do for you here today, Vito. Now, Thank you. one of my friendly competitors also works with brands and entrepreneurs to help them launch their podcast. It seems like every time I turn around, I have three new competitors and people who were in different businesses are all of a sudden in the help you launch your podcast business. It's very hot. And right now, there are so many people available to be guests that there are not nearly enough shows and there are not nearly enough available episodes to host them all. On this podcast, the Business Creators Radio Show, 
we're at the point where we even have to release episodes twice and sometimes three times a week and we're a weekly show simply because we have so many in the can and I don't want people to get interviewed and then have to wait six months for their episode to come out because that's just not fair. So what I want to bring up is this friendly competitor of mine. My hook is about networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding. Their hook is connect with influencers and become one. So I checked out their marketing. I attended some of their live streams. I got a sense of what they were saying. And it, and it gave me both answers and questions. And this is really going to be a really big question for you. I spent four weeks on this inside my Facebook group with our live streams, attempting to identify a valid answer to the question, what the hell is an influencer? So that's my first question to you. And I think that's a great question, Adam, because the word influencer has kind of evolved over the past few years. And if you in, if you research this for that many weeks, you probably came across the statistic that the number one job that people under 40 were surveyed as wanting to do is being an influencer. So what yes. does that mean to them, right? So some people have it in their mind that like an influencer is like a bikini model who just posts selfies of herself at the beach and then promotes like skinny tea products, right? Like that's yeah. a very common like stereotype of an influencer. But I really think that the word influencer has just kind of evolved because that's, that could be like, that could be like a really niche down into being like a female glamour model, social media influencer. That's what I would identify like that particular type of like stereotype of influencer as. I'd say that's yeah. like a female glamour model, social media influencer. But you can also have like a legal influencer, right? Like somebody who's super well regarded in like the law space for a specific type of law. Uh, and that all the lawyers like go to them uh, for their influence, right? And for the reach and they're able to like create legislation. That would be an influencer too. So I think that really what the word influencer can be interchanged with the word authority. So you're just an authority on some particular topic. And now if you're on social media and you're talking about this topic, then that would make you a social media influencer. But you could also be like an academic influencer, right? Like maybe your following isn't on Instagram. Your following might be in academia, right? Or your following might be like a, like I actually had a client who was, he, he hated the term influencer, but he really was like the biggest chiropractic influencer. He would throw these big events and all the chiropractors would come and just do whatever this guy was doing. So he was influencing his entire industry. He was the authority, but he was more than an authority. He became like a leader in that space on that particular topic. So I would say that the word authority and the word influencer can be interchanged. But as it pertains to social media specifically, uh, I believe that an influencer is somebody that has, has created content and a message that resonates with a particular audience. And that audience then comes to them for insight on that particular topic. And that's what an influencer would be defined as, as far as I could go in 2022 terms. Right. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And as we go through our conversation here, we'll probably hit on a few different influencers to tie into some of the things as we dive a little bit deeper into this. So uh, what I want to do now is I actually want to jump ahead a little bit because the other half of what we want to discuss here, and this is what some of our listeners have been demanding I cover on this show at some point, is this whole thing 
about cancel culture. And I'm going to briefly do a little bit more seed-based marketing for my own business to explain why podcasting is so important in the era of cancel culture. As part of our podcast reach system, we work with our clients to help them build a dedicated website that's just for their podcast, separate from their business website, although the, 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 the two brands can dovetail and interchange, but a separate portal, not just saying, hey, uh, go on my Spotify or go on my Apple podcast or something like that. And the reason being is you can find yourself getting kicked off that platform for no reason that you're ever told. And it may come down to somebody reported some content and it was a completely irrelevant and even stupid thing, but they just decided, out of hell with you, we'll just throw you off the platform. Uh, or it could be that the people who run the platform took a really weird view of something you said and decided, ah, we don't want that, but they just won't explain it to you. But let's say you get kicked off Spotify, for instance. So let's say you get kicked off iHeartRadio. Okay, that's fine. You still have your website. You still have yes. the ability to generate an email list. You still have the ability to attract people to that website. You still have all of the power of using search engine marketing on a website that you control where you can do anything you want in terms of optimization and marketing around search engines to continue to break through the noise. I mean, we're in an era where the president of the United States can get canceled off social media. I mean, that's yes. pretty frightening when you think about it. And at the same time, that same president, well, now a former president, we all know who we're talking about here, is actually just as much an influencer now as he was when he was in office. And part of that is candidly because he had his own home base. So I don't want to get to go down that road. I mean, he had his own website. He actually now has his own social network that he's creating. And he still had the ability to get the word out through, pro through proxies and surrogates. So all that influence remained. Now, mm -hmm. let's not go any further down that road. I just want to use as an example why this is so important. If they can cancel the sitting president, they can cancel anybody over anything. So what is going on with cancel culture in general? And what are some of the things to, I guess, to watch out for? I'm going to leave this a very broad question and allow you to fill in the canvas. Yeah. So I'd like to consider myself uh, almost an expert on cancel culture now. And if you actually really look back to where it began, uh, it started on a, a platform on Twitter and it was called uh, Black Twitter, which is like an African-American community on Twitter where they um, uh, where different influencers in the African-American space basically create like uh, trending topics. And yes. it really started um, on, on Twitter. And basically, because there were so many people engaged and interacting, they realized, uh, those particular followers realized that they could make enough noise to get brands to uh, make changes to their policy based yeah. on internet chatter. Uh, so that was like the first introduction to it really in like the digital world. But cancel culture has been like around for all time, right? Like leaving bad reviews, um, telling people about things that you don't like, trying to like affect their income, right? So really what it is, is that cancel culture has just been magnified because it's given a bunch of anonymous people on the internet, a megaphone to reach brands and to reach sponsorships and to basically directly affect people's income 
if, if they feel that they don't like something. Um, and the reason that's dangerous is because, you know, it's, I'm really all, I'm into free speech. I really believe in free speech. I love America. I'm really into our constitution. Um, yes. I, I, I'm all about everybody is entitled to their opinion. You know, one of my favorite quotes is one of the founding fathers said, I might not believe in what you say, but I will fight to the death. your right to say it. Right. I live so, by that. I live by that. My friend. Yes. And likewise here. So uh, in the story, and it's funny because, you know, like as a producer, I'm in Hollywood and I don't, need to align myself with every single belief that's out here at the end of the day i just want to give people a platform so i've been on both sides of basically every political argument on the production side where we're i have my personal views but then if a client comes to me and has completely opposing views i don't believe in like shutting those views down i say no i will give you the equal platform to share your side of that conversation um but not everybody feels that way and in fact there's like a major major power push uh, to stifle creativity. And this is where cancel culture gets really dangerous is that when people feel that uh, when people are scared of being canceled, they're less likely to uh, push their creativity to the maximum. And right. because, and then what happens is it's really, I honestly really feel that cancel culture has uh, roots in uh, a Marxist agenda that is attacking America's political system. Um, so I do feel that it is actually based in communism and it is based in a lot of the like um, kind of very far left belief systems that have been popularized through social media in the past two decades. Uh, so right. I, I don't want to get political either, but I, it does have roots. The cancellation culture does have roots in Marxism where if no, where everybody's afraid to do comedy. So everybody has to just get in line with the state. And that's kind of fundamentally, I think, really where a lot of it is being financed from, where people don't want to have rev- – it's not good for the people in power for people to share revolutionary ideas. It's, right. it's well, not good for these people to, get, to build, get built up. And we saw that with the last president. Made a lot of people yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I see cancel culture on the far right, too. I'm somebody who speaks with just about everybody. I have friends all the way across the spectrum. And I love getting into these conversations with people. Now, there are certain parameters, like, for example, knowing the full range of my political views or my views on social issues or things like that is not something that I feel obligated to share with people. And in fact, it's an earned privilege. You have to show me that in order for me to be willing to have this discussion with you, that you are somebody who, like you, can be open to hearing all sides. You don't have to be, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to be convinced by them. But just the ability to have the conversation. So when I, like, I have a really good friend and he and I get into these conversations all the time and we're on opposite sides on the surface of certain issues. But the funny thing is, is when I sit down with him, we have conversations. What we find out is we actually agree on more than we disagree on. However, we're being socially conditioned because he and I made different decisions about how we voted in the last three presidential elections that we're supposed to be enemies and that uh, just because we made one decision that we check off a whole bunch of other boxes down the line, that's actually not the case. Is uh, To paraphrase Rob Schneider, turn off the TV and actually go speak with your neighbors and you're going to find out that there's actually more unity than division. However, with this cancel culture, you have to think about who profits from the division. 
Of course. And, that, and that, that's a great point. I, I always do tell people, follow the money in every news story. So a big part of our business model is actually helping get influencers and entrepreneurs and brands featured in the media and get published in the, in the news. And I think it's very important if we're talking about cancel culture to talk a little bit about the history of the evolution of news culture. Yes. Um, so initially... Uh, within our lifetimes, let's say in the past 20 to 30 years, uh, news used to, there just used to be like two newses a day. It was like the morning news and the evening news, right? And 6, 6 a.m. and 11 p.m., I remember yeah, it. Yeah, so um, news actually, I don't know if you know this, but news stands for um, Notable Events, Weather, and Sports. It's actually an acronym. So that's what news is supposed to be. It's just supposed right. to be notable, notable Events, Weather, and Sports. So what happened is cable news came out and all of a sudden we went from having news two times a day to having entire networks of news dedicated, I'm sorry, entire television networks dedicated to sharing news, right? 24-7. The same amount of events were still happening. So that kind of started getting the world um, a, a little more... Uh, it started creating more need for grabbing people's attention. But the real deal killer that has led to like the massive divisiveness in these echo chambers of news was that after the 24-hour news cycle came out, social media came out, and then there was even more competition and even lower barrier of entry for journalists, for like quote-unquote journalists to share stories and share um, their views. And then on top of that, there was just a lot of people able to share their opinions. So what actually happened was news and journalism went from being very factual to being um, highly opinionated because in order to fill in those 24 hours a day of news, they these networks started creating uh, opinions about the news in order to generate enough traffic. And they realized that the more polarizing those opinions were, the more dramatic the statements they made were, the more clicks that they could get and the more revenue that they could earn. So there was actually a financial incentive for creating news that was specifically meant to be divisive. And that's where we've gotten to our like major echo chambers, right? Where there's basically like two crazy, it's, um, it's, it's basically like hyperbole news, right? It's like super exaggerated. And like, why are we fighting over like bathroom use of like, like genders that affects like this tiny, tiny, tiny little portion of the population, but it's like constantly being mentioned in our news cycle um, because it's, it gets people clicking. It gets people yeah. on both sides clicking. And it really, it's, they find these little issues that really like don't affect 99.9% of our lives. And most of us probably would not even notice or care, but they're able to amplify such um, incredible magnitude that they're then able to monetize these really frivolous issues. Let me give you an example of a frivolous issue. Uh, and now the first part of this is not frivolous, but then I'm going to explain. Then I'm going to explain my personal experience with it. Uh, the actress Gina Carano, who uh, lost, I think it was her gig on a Disney movie or something, because yes. she made a joke. Because she, she made a joke about her pronouns, and people right. got all in the feels about this. Now she ended up uh, doing a deal with the Daily Wire, and now has a movie coming out through them. Now the Daily Wire is actually getting into movie production, which is a quite an interesting thing. So yep. this is an example of somebody who said, "Okay, you think you're going to cancel me here? Well, screw you! I'll just go somewhere else." 
And I think that, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Now, here's the thing about pronouns. I love pointing out to people. Now, I'm not one of those people who declares my pronouns. If you go to my LinkedIn, you're going to see that's not filled in, even though it keeps prompting me to do so. I won't do it because I think it's stupid, candidly. Here's the reason why I think it's stupid and why I think it's kind of an exaggerated issue. Now, I get the whole idea that with uh, with transgenderism and intersectionality and things like that, that it may not be clear on the surface. So people need to declare it so that folks understand who they are. And I absolutely get that. I have uh, I know people who actually are transgendered and sometimes they have to declare the pronouns so that people know who they're dealing with. I'm totally on board with it. But I also remember that back in the 1980s, when I was in grade school, it was a Catholic parochial school. So I'm just giving you uh, the whole framework. Uh, I'm telling you the era. I'm telling you the medium. And I'm allowing the listeners to draw their own conclusions to what they think might have been expected. And then I'm going to blow your mind here. I was taught in third grade English that until you know whether somebody is male or female, use the pronouns they, them. The reason was very simple. You have these people named Kelly, Tracy, Sean, etc., and those names are unisex. So if you see it written, how do you know who they are until you meet them? That's so that so that so that very was, logical. Yeah, yeah. So that so so I was taught this whole pronoun thing thirty years ago when I was a kid, and it made perfect sense. So rather than assuming somebody's gender or assuming somebody's pronouns or what have you, until you know. I'm, I'm just in a center on Kim, for instance, um, Kim, Kimberly, what have you. That's a name that is actually unisex. There are a lot of males and a lot of females named Kim or Kimberly. Also, in certain parts of the world, Kim is both a very common first name and it's a very common surname or last name. So if somebody comes to me and they say their name is Kim Glazers, what does that mean? I don't know. Until I've seen a picture of that person, until I've met that person, I don't know who I'm dealing with. So it's easy to just say they, them. Or if you're referring to your doctor, for instance, just say they, them. The reason being is you don't want to assume that only males can be doctors. And that's logical and respectful. But when you get to trying to destroy somebody because they made a joke about it being taken to a ridiculously absurd level, then yeah, that's an issue. Well, I just would like to say that I'm offended because I try to put my pronouns down as boss and daddy in LinkedIn, and they wouldn't allow me to do that. So I feel discriminated against because I, if we're either going to all pick whatever we want, or we're not going to pick anything. So, uh, that's, okay. That's okay. So, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so Vito, are you a boss? Yes. I um, like to think of, I, I identify myself as a boss. Are you, are you, are you a daddy? Do you have kids? I do. I am a father and I, so, you, so also, you're a boss yes. and a daddy. Yeah. Yes. So, but yeah, so I'm so not allowed denied, to identify myself this way. Well, well, they, well, I mean, just to take this to its ridiculously illogical conclusion, they're denying you your identity. And that, well, that's, that's, that's where I feel. I, I'm all about like, and this goes back to the free speech platform, right? It's either we, ha- we just all have to have a uniform set of rules. That's how civilization works. Right. But if you say no, you uh, you have to fit this criteria, or you have to say this, or you're 
uh, anti-culture or, or, or you're going to be removed from our society or removed from our platforms. That's that's where I'd like to challenge the status quo right now. Uh, but here's the thing. I have to uh, I'm not really offended. Obviously, uh, we're saying this in just just to prove that this isn't an even playing field. Right. That That's kind of the point of this of this of these mentions is that the cancel culture playing field is not an even playing field. Um, no. So. I would like to just talk about being offended for a second. And this is something that I've really learned from news culture and from like watching people be consumed and affected by our news cycles. Um, yes. Is that the easier you are to offend, the easier you are to manipulate. I take pride in being unoffendable. Like literally, there's nothing you could say that would offend me. I'm very secure in who I am and what I'm doing. And I really love my life. So I can't be offended, but... If I know that I can push certain buttons and create certain reactions in people, that gives me a lot of power. So if I'm like, oh, I can offend this group of right-wing Trump lovers by uh, saying something really crazy to them, and I can create this reaction and get them all raging in the streets and on social media, that gives me a lot of power. And the same thing if I go and I say, okay, well, I, I can really go and uh, I can get all these Biden voters really upset and I can find that audience and I can poke the bear and get them to do some kind of reaction to either distract them or to get them to write about me or to do them. It gives me a lot of power over them. So I try to tell people, if you're getting offended, you're just being used as a tool in, by the media. And the less offended you are, the less you will be manipulated by the things going on around you in the outside world that you can't control. Yeah. You know, um, I actually have a, I actually actually have a really good Trump joke that I love to tell people. Uh, so let me ask you this, Vito, have you ever read any of Donald Trump's books? I love Art of the Deal. I have an autographed copy here in my office. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So you have read at least one of the books. Now yes. for people who have read several of the books, have you noticed they all end in chapter 11? I have not. No. <laughs> they, they actually don't. That, oh, that's but the funny, joke. That's but the funny. joke. Yes. But the joke is because as part of his yes. uh, mergers and acquisitions process, he's declared several chapter elevens. Yes, uh, that's, so a great, that's actually quite now, funny. Now, now, this, now the thing is, is everybody I've ever told who's a Trump supporter has laughed. Yes. Most liberals and most leftists I've told that joke to have also laughed for different reasons. Yes. In the former yes. case, it's like, yeah, he's our guy, and uh, he's a son of a bitch or what have you, but you yeah. got to love him, you know? And on the yeah. other hand, it's like, yeah, he's a freaking loser, so yeah, we'll laugh yeah. at him because he's always bankrupt. But yeah. there are a few people I've told that to who actually got all bothered by it and then suddenly went on these diatribes about how either how evil Trump is or how evil people are for saying such nasty things about it. And I'm thinking, you know religions speak about false idols and not worshiping human beings for a reason because when you love somebody that much that you allow yourself to get your whole day turned upside down and emotionally irregular because somebody told a joke about them you worship them when you hate them so much that it sets you off you're actually worshiping them because you're giving them that much power uh Donald Trump and Joe Biden don't have that much power over me. They, I view them as people who serve or have served as president of the United States. And I expect them to do their best that they can to 
make the best decisions and provide the best leadership possible for our country. And if they do it, that's great. And if not, then I'm going to vote for somebody else. So to me, it's about how does my vote help contribute to making our country a better place? How do my views fit into this? And if I have views, are they going to listen to me? That's what I want to know. And I think that's very valid. And we've given these uh, these kind of Manchurian candidates a lot of attention on this podcast. But the reality is I, I really do go through an effort to try to think about them as much as they think about me. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. you know that's not much. So, uh, but this is important because when it comes to um, the reason this is kind of an important part of the conversation is because we were talking a lot about audiences. And audience... Identifying your audience is one of the most important components of telling your story. And if you want to talk about being an influencer in any capacity, the first step is actually to define the audience. Because once you know how the audience reacts to things, you can create content around how the audience consumes it and engineers it. So that's actually part of what we do at Glazers Media is we take your expertise or we take your Let's say, uh, because we work with actually a lot of like comedy people and musicians and stuff like that as well. And we actually say, okay, like we take what you have, your your content, your what you're creating, whether that's a book about uh, how to start a business or whether that's a uh, cause, national cause or global cause, whether it's comedy videos, whether it's rap music, um, whether it's whatever it is. And we try to reverse engineer where your audience, where the, the audience that's going to be most receptive to that content is located. So step one is really finding what you're passionate about, right? And finding something that you want to share. And we work with creators in all capacities. And actually we do also do a lot of creative development for people that are like, Vito, I feel creative, but I don't know how to, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to be a model, if I want to be an actress, if I want to be a musician or a dancer or a social media star. I say, all right, so part of our process is extracting what your, what your talent is and what you particularly maybe have that can influence other people in a positive way. Then we try to find where the biggest audience or the most attainable audience of that is. For some people, it might be on social media. For some people, it might be on television. For some people, it might be a podcast audience. For some people, it might be, um, you know, like doing live events, connecting with, like I gave the example of the chiropractor who used to do these live events. The guy had like 300 followers on Instagram, but he could get 2,000 people at a live event. So it's really about reverse engineering that audience, or taking your content, discovering the audience, tweaking your content to be digestible by that audience and then figuring out how you can monetize your content and develop it from there. And that's basically like our, the formula that we've been using to help creators. Uh, we have like a little saying that I developed for Glazers Media. It's that we make we make famous people rich and we make rich people famous. So by making people who have big audiences already come to us. Um, I have a talent agency as well. It's part of Glazers Media. It's called Glazers Talent. And if you already have over a million followers on any platform, it could be a million people on TikTok, a million people on Instagram. It could even be having an email list with one million people on your email list. We can take that audience and we help people make the most possible money from that. Because a lot of times people are good at getting the followers, but they don't necessarily know how to monetize that. So we can take famous people and we can make you rich. But on the other side of that, 
there's rich people, and I just use that term rich because it's like kind of like a clickbaity word, but really it yeah. should just be like um, authorities, you know, people who are successful in their industry that don't necessarily have all the recognition that they deserve because they don't know how to put themselves out there. So we, we quote unquote make rich people famous because we can take somebody who is very good at something that they're doing and that they've earned a lot of income from, and we can help them get the authority and build the audience and grow their story and share their story at a higher level, whether that's through a book, through a publicity campaign, or even through like a TV show or film, uh, we can help them get kind of that recognition for the authority that they've developed in, a, in their small industry or space. So, but audience is such a key component to that and knowing the audience and knowing how to speak to an audience uh, that's all the news is doing. The news knows that the two easiest audiences are right and left, right? We're yep. so categorized. We're so plugged in. And the news, all they do is they play one audience against the other, and they do it all day long, and they make tons of revenue from it. So as a creator, as an influencer, as an entrepreneur, as somebody with a solution, entrepreneurs just sell solutions, right? And influencers sell um, basically content or creative ideas that resonate with people. As that entrepreneur or as that influencer, uh, your duty really is to take your story and or take what your knowledge and share it with as many people as possible to help as many people as possible. So instead of being like the evil news channels that just play right against left, identify your key component, the key components of your of your ideal audience, and mold and create your content into the formats that they're going to best consume, and then. Keep keep growing from there and seeing how you can reach more and more people with your story and your message. The important thing to remember is that you don't have to make content for everyone. Content just for one specific group of people. You know, they say the riches are in the niches. It's a strategy we use actually to get a lot of our clients. It's called newsjacking, where we'll actually help our clients develop a campaign around making a controversial statement about a trending topic in the media in order to direct clicks in their direction. And what that does is it actually, by offending a tr the audience of a trending topic, we're actually exfoliating a bunch of people that would never buy or be interested in your story anyway, but strengthening your connection to a story, uh, strengthen your connection to the people that will buy your story because you've kind of come out and put yourself out as that kind of revolutionary or like strong character that's willing to put their truth on the line. Well, an example that I think of is one from last year uh, or maybe the year before. God, these years are just flying by so quick yes. these days. Um, Goya Beans. Uh, yes. Remember two years ago, people yes. got all mad because the CEO of Goya Beans went to the White House and made some positive statements about President Trump and all that and uh, said, well, we're going to cancel Goya Beans and yes. ended up having record revenues. Yes. Now, just to show how fair and balanced I really am, I'm thinking I'm thinking of a of a tweet from John Legend, who's very much on the opposite side of that spectrum. And I'm going to paraphrase and I'm probably off by like one word but he said something like, I wish someone would cancel me. That shit's lucrative. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. If you and see, that's that's kind of the thing is that. um we do really teach our clients to like navigate the thin line. And actually, I think it's great advice, like you said, to like post your own platform, right? Because that's what we're trying to do with creators is we're trying to give them their own platform. 
uh, to create their own material. So companies that want to uh, basically mold them to fit their agenda uh, can't control every single narrative on this planet. And I think with third-party media, um, I think that's possible. It's And it's crazy to see how far people are willing to go to cancel somebody when, you know, I had, I had always thought people were pretty safe with the website, but, you know, with Parler and some of these, like, uh, apps that tried to take on kind of like the conglomerate apps, they, uh, you know, they got their hosting pulled. So people tell me, they're like, Vito, what can we do to stop cancel culture? I said, honestly, we just have to build infrastructure that is comparable to every single thing that's available on the people that are canceling. And we we have to have right. our own hosting solutions. We have to have our own social media platforms. We have to have our own television networks. We don't rely on their broadcast system. And it's happening. It's already happening. Uh, I will say the reason that that um, Republicans, so to speak, are like the quote unquote right is a little behind is because they tend to be like mindset wise more mathematical and less creative so hollywood is run by the left so they've got all the tv networks they've got all the social media platforms all the celebrities all the influencers like they really kind of like corner them but this is like something that kind of like upset me i I, I got it you know i'm in these like creative communities and i was i don't know when artists became the lapdogs of the government (laughs) like this was something that like really uh, like just threw me off and I had to like talk to a bunch of my artist friends who were like just really like all about the government and like bowing to the government. Like, we're supposed to be the ones that challenge the ideas. Like it's supposed to be the, the, the crazy Republicans that are the evil government. We're supposed to be the free-spirited liberal artists. Yeah. Said, Since when do we do the bidding of the government, you know? So it's just crazy how, and this is a testament actually to like influencer marketing. We have foreign governments that poured a bunch of budget. They bought our movie studios, they bought our news channels, they bought our newspapers, they bought our media, and then they bought our celebrities. And basically, they paid off enough people to convey a message. And now, all of a sudden, artists are the loud megaphones of the government and the establishment, like totally the opposite of what it was during Vietnam and, and throughout all of culture, where artists were supposed to be counter culture that's the whole idea behind artists and uh i'll mention john legend again uh he i'm gonna paraphrase him and i'm really off on this one but i will get the message right is he made a statement to the effect of well we tend to be more progressive because we're more creative it's something along those lines it's just the idea that you are trained as an artist to not see things at face value and furthermore you're trained to understand some of the nuances behind influencing how to motivate people how to get people to think act and believe a certain way and that's and if we want to now pivot here remember you know as of this recording anyway a couple months ago the whole thing with Neil Young pulling his music off Spotify because he didn't like some of the episodes that Joe Rogan did and then Joe Rogan goes out and says Oh man, that's a shame. I, I love Neil Young. Yeah. 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 So so my yeah. thought about the whole thing, and I will share this, is uh, you know, Neil Young is somebody who you know goes back to that counterculture thing. He's been around yes. that long. This is the guy who literally sang the song Rockin' in a Free World. Yeah. So I'm thinking, Neil Young is running from a debate. He's yes. saying, get rid of this guy or get rid of me. And then Spotify yeah. shrugs and says, Okay, you're gone. 
Yeah. And now, now we yeah. all know, well, now we all know who's actually the rights holders to his music and all that, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, he was the mouthpiece in front of it. Sure. So I'm thinking, so I'm thinking if Neil Young is really this counterculture guy, this, this take them all on, don't let people push you around, speak your mind thing. And he's got something to say about vaccinations or what have you. If I were Neil Young, I'd I'd, I'd uh, get on the Joe Rogan show and I'd say, or I'd get Joe Rogan's producer and I'd say, you know, Joe's been putting out these uh, these episodes and he's had these people on who've been saying these things, and I don't know about that. I I would uh, I'd actually like to have a conversation with him about him. Do you think you have room for me? And the funny thing is, is I don't know Joe Rogan personally, but I've seen enough of how he acts. He probably would have had Neil Young on his show and just let him run his mouth and actually had a conversation with him about it. Uh, Rogan himself has said he doesn't necessarily believe everything that his guests say, but he wants to encourage a conversation. And sometimes they pull sound bites out of Joe Rogan episodes and make it look like he got in some bitter argument with one of his guests. But they're really just focusing on like 90 seconds of a two hour show where it was actually a very collegial conversation. Yes. And I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. In fact, I'm going uh, I'm really excited tonight. I'm going to see Tim Dillon. I don't know if you're a Tim Dillon fan. Um, He's uh, was for years. He was Joe Rogan's opening act at the Hollywood Improv. And he's a very, very, very solid guy. If you guys don't. Uh, know who Tim Dillon is. He's not uh, He's not the comedian America wants right now, but he's definitely the comedian the world needs. And I would really yeah. encourage people to check him out uh, on Instagram at Tim J. Dillon. Um, and I didn't get paid for that plug, but I'm definitely going to be trying to get in with him tonight and seeing if I can uh, help him take his platform to the next level. He's a really cool creator. Uh, but I think you may make a great point that um, cancel culture is the opposite of conversation culture. And what we really need is conversations over cancellations. Conversations lead to a middle ground. Cancellation, and this is why I say that, you know, cancel culture is rooted in Marxism because it's not, it's not rooted in democracy. Democracy is hearing both sides of the story and then saying, okay, well, we're going to find somewhere in between and we're going to agree on, you know, what's best for us ongoing. Cancel culture is more like communism where it's like, no, the state makes the decision. And if you don't agree, then you're eliminated. And that's what's really dangerous. And it's really dangerous. And I really don't see how artists can possibly support cancel culture and canceling and deplatforming other artists. Because the thing about cancel culture is, uh, and the, the thing about like the woke, quote unquote, woke culture, uh, I'd mm-hmm. like to differentiate that there's a difference between being woke and awake, right? Yes. So being awake is kind of like seeing everything as it is. Being woke is you've been programmed to think in one specific mindset by somebody who's promoting a specific agenda that's not in your best interest because you can never be woke enough. That's, that's one thing that I do advise my clients because I do, you know, coach people through getting uncanceled. And I always tell them, I said, the worst thing you can do is apologize. The worst thing you can do is submit to the cancel mob because you will never be woke enough and you can do everything possible. You can, you can try to like check every single box but you will never be woke enough and they, you will always get eaten by the woke mob. Like uh, no matter how far create and down crazy train you take it, they will always eat you. And then you get so far from your truth. You can't recover. You alienate your core audience of people. Um, I said, the best thing to do is just focus on building your own platform, identifying where your audience is, capturing your connection to them as much as possible. And like, Unfortunately, we do live in a culture now where you have to have like backup accounts and backup uh, lists and have your email list, have your social media or have your like 
uh, SMS text message list. So you can direct people to your new platform when, if, and when you are removed and canceled and deplatformed. Um, yeah. I just want to, if I am, if anybody's listening to the show and you are an entrepreneur or you are a creative, just, I, all I can say is that if you support the cancellation of anybody for any reason, all you're doing is setting up a world where you are going to be the next person or could be the next person to be canceled as well. We all right. have to be on the same team. We all have to defend each other's free speech. We all have to defend each other's ability to create art and content. And if something offends you, just don't watch it. If it's not for you, just don't participate in it, but you don't have to eliminate it. <laughs> it, it you just don't have to because uh, I wouldn't eliminate you and I would hope that you would allow me to say something stupid and offensive and, um, you know, maybe even just like have a challenging conversation uh, without the need to be eliminated. Otherwise, the bad guys win. Well, a um, few points on this and I'm going to go through these quickly. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to name four people. Uh, J.K. Rowling, Sarah Silverman, Cher and Ice-T. No, no, no. Yeah, Ice-T. I got it right. Ice-T are four people who discovered at one point or another that, yeah, this correct. You can never be woke enough. Eventually, you will say something, and they will turn on you like they never knew you. It's happened to all of them. Uh, I'll leave it to our listeners to go research that for themselves. Uh, another point I'd like to make here is that, you know, when you, and this is, and now, now I'm going to merge influence and, and cancel culture. I remember during the early days of the Trump presidency, uh, and I followed President Trump on Facebook, and for a while, every single time the Trump account posted anything, uh, the influencer Perez Hilton would make some sarcastic comment about it. They would get like uh, tens of thousands of engagements in terms of uh, emotion, you know, reactions and comments. And I saw this whole thing of people saying, well, we should just run Paris Hilton right off the air. And I'm thinking, no, he's got something to say. Why don't you have a conversation with him? Yeah, we have to start a new thing called conversation culture. Yeah. I think we're going to we're going to coin it on your show right now. Conversation culture. I, I love it. Con conversation mm -hmm. culture that in fact, mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I think we're going to amend the title of this episode to uh, refer to conversation culture. I think that's a beautiful thing and it's going to get us uh, some more clicks. I think that's fantastic. And then there's what yeah. then there's one. There's Oh, yeah. Here's the other thing I wanted to say. You know, this goes back to how the news plays left and right and everything else. Now, myself being a student and practitioner of neurolinguistic programming, I am familiar with the use of presuppositions, which is the use of adjectives and adverbs to take something factual and turn it into a narrative. So when you see words like baseless, unproven, false that are included in headlines, that's actually clickbait. Right. Because it's creating the idea that a story has a slant on it, even though you may read the story and then or watch it or listen to it and find out it's actually just objective reporting. The fact that they use the presuppositions and the headlines and uh, some of the mainstream networks are the ones that claim to be mainstream do this all the time. I see right through it like a, like a wet yes. paper bag. So what I like to say is if, you know, as far as any cable news, I have more trust in Fox News and MSNBC. And the reason is very simple. 
they don't hide their agenda one bit. I know exactly what kind of garbage I'm getting <laughs> and how to filter through it. So yes. if I if I if I want to if I want a right view, I go to Fox. If I want a left view, I go to MSNBC because I know why they're saying it. They make no bones and they make no you know they make no effort to hide their agenda. So mm-hmm. I can hear, see, and witness what they're saying and filter it. Whereas with the yeah, others, it's, it's, whereas yes. with the others, I mean, with the others, I can see through like a wet paper bag, but a lot of other people can't. Right. Yeah. You've got like Washington Post and Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. They've, they've all kind of started like really, um, I love how you reference NLP because that's, that's a perfect way to describe the way that they're, they're trying to program the stories. Um, and they're really just programming on an agenda. Journalism was supposed to be objective, right? Like Wikipedia yeah. was supposed to be objective. But now you go on Wikipedia and it's just like, you know, it's lost all its credibility because it's um, basically they've let people just put all these, this language, uh, this programmable language in, into articles that were supposed to be based in fact. It's it's hard to say, it's, you know, it's hard to, it's not that hard. It, it shouldn't be that hard to just say this, the, you know, blue is blue, right? The sky is blue. And, but, you know, and that, that's, that's, a, that's overly, that's an overall, I think most people would say that's a fact that the sky is blue, but when you've got these, uh, when you add this opinion in, right, these, these NLP programming where it's like, um, like where even a headline could be like, isn't it terrible that the sky is blue or something like that? Right. Like, right. um, why, why the sky, why the sky being blue is, is bad for you. Like all of a sudden we're programming people into like taking this fact and then setting them up. And there's like, well, no, that, that is a fact. The sky is blue and this is an authority. So again, like news, news is influencers. Journalists are influencers. They, they have a platform, they have an audience and they convey a message to you. So you have to be really careful who you let influence you. And I, I do think that um, I do think that being an influencer is very important. If you have a story or if you have a view that you think is unique, um, we definitely would love to have you at Glazers Media. We would love to help build a platform for you, find your audience, narrow that story down, and help you uh, monetize that if you're passionate about it. Yeah. Here's a great way for us to end up, and I'm going to leave this with something for our listeners to just think about. Uh, you see on social media sometimes these memes that say, hey, did you know that the news used to actually be news? And there's usually a picture of Walter Cronkite. Now, Walter Cronkite, even in his prime, was known as a pretty left-wing liberal sort of guy. But the point that they're making is you could watch Walter Cronkite's reports every night, and you knew that most of it was him reporting facts. And there was this one section of his report that you could clearly identify. And this is Walter Cronkite, liberal, giving his personal view. You could tell the difference. And I think that's what they're getting at. But you don't see so much of that today. Which is back in the old days, if there was a house fire, the news would report, uh, there was a house fire uh, at 26 Main Street. And they had three fire trucks one building was destroyed, two others were damaged, uh, one person was hospitalized for smoke inhalation, fortunately nobody died. Now, what you see in the news, especially these 24-hour cycles, now they have to spin mm-hmm. that. And they'll, right. say, and they'll say, neighbors noticed a white van parked down the street at the time the fire was sparked. And now you're going to see all these sidebar stories about what kind of mm-hmm. people own white vans. And then, mm-hmm. a day later, you're going to say, 
huh, we looked into the neighbors and here's some of what the neighbor was posting on social media. And the mm-hmm. social media mentioned in this neighbor mentioned something about burning cities down. Huh. Mm-hmm. So now we're creating all this garbage where it's probably an electrical fire. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's truly, uh, they, they can spin it to their, to their narrative. And then the Huffington post gets involved and says, uh, why white supremacists uh, get better um, fire department services than you know other neighborhoods and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So then they can just really take it wild, and people love it. People love to share it because people have cognitive dissonance, right? Like yep. they don't want to admit that they can't have two thoughts that don't add up in their mind logically. So before, uh, first of all, they're attracted to echo chambers uh, where people are just repeating information that supports their mindset and their agreement. And then second of all, they really just uh, look for opportunities to um, find information that supports their viewpoints, right? That necessarily yeah. necessarily have to be based on feedback. But there's opportunity in everything. Um, yep. I think that the, the biggest takeaway from today is that I, I really think we, we need to all kind of get together and promote uh, the conversation culture over a cancel culture um, in today's society and know that if somebody's trying to cancel you, it's because they don't have a logical argument to, uh, to, to refute, um, you know, with facts. They have to use force, force over facts. And that's just not what free speech is built around. And uh, that's just the world we live in. Okay, I'm going to throw one more and just illustrate how silly this is. I remember a few years ago when Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ted Cruz all grew beards at the same time. And (laughs) before you know it, uh, these secondary news outlets, the ones that are used for supplemental information, the Huffington Post might have been one that did this. I can't remember. Or it might have been somebody on BuzzFeed. I cannot remember. But somebody came out with this this ridiculous article. Beards are a symbol of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned this to a good friend of mine who's African-American and very left. He's one of these people that I can have these friendly debates with and they can go on for hours simply because we've established mutual respect for each other's views. And I said, dude, you have a beard. You're white supremacist. Now, the thing is, he knew what I was getting at and he laughed, but with all the programming and all the cancel culture, there are people that actually take this garbage seriously. Yes. So that's, I think another great thing, just a little brain teaser for our listeners to think about when you see some of this ridiculous stuff and just seriously move from cancel culture to communication culture and have conversations with it. Uh, Yeah. Cancel culture to conversation culture, just have conversations about it. And find out what people are really thinking. And it's been my belief for so long that we, as a society, are generally more or less agreed or at least on the same, in the same chapter of the same book, if not necessarily on the same page, about the what and the why. Where we diverge is the how and by whom. And that's where the division happens. I think that's excellent insight, Adam. And I'm super grateful to have uh, gotten this opportunity to have this conversation with you. I hope that people can uh, get at least a takeaway of the last takeaway I'll leave people with is when it comes to any kind of content, whether it's a documentary on Netflix, 
a newspaper article, a news story, follow the money. Just think, challenge yourself to play a game and say, who would financially benefit from this story being published? Follow the money. Yep, just follow the money and you'll be surprised on how much uh, cancel culture and news and negative propaganda all starts to make sense to you. Okay, so what I want to leave our listeners with finally is you have a little gift for them. If they go to your website, which is uh, vetoglazers.com, and then they add forward slash links. So that's vetoglazers.com forward slash links. If you're watching this or listening to this on my website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow, it's right there in the notes. Uh, And you have some great resources on, and these are just some of your great educational materials. uh, Make a film, write a book, get press. So for anybody who has, and and some other topics as well. So if you have any interest in taking this to another level and discovering how you can use your power as an influencer to join us in our movement to create communication culture, go to Vito's website. That's vetoglazers.com forward slash links. I'm going to go check it out myself. And with that, Vito, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.